Welcome, welcome, welcome to a very special SMW1 edition of Five Things Podcast brought to you by Social Media Week and Grey Group. I'm your host, Toby Daniels. Joining me on today's show, we have our founding Five Things member, Kenny Gold from the Grey Group. Welcome, Kenny. Hey, Toby. And we are also joined by a very special guest, Jesse Kay, who is, among many other things, the CEO of New, a music and culture agency, and the founder and editor-in-chief of Beats and Bytes, a weekly newsletter that brings you the latest news at the intersection of music, culture, and technology. Jesse, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Happy Social Media Week and happy Music Track Day. Happy Music Track Day. Let's get into that. So I'm pretty psyched to welcome Jesse for a number of reasons. He's been a collaborator and a friend of mine for more than a decade. He programmed the first dedicated music tracker programming during Social Media Week in New York back in 2009. And since then, he and his company has been at the forefront of the music tech conversion scene. And he's been a pioneer in the industry over that time. Each week, we produce a report which gets sent out through social and through our email um, database, but also we host a live podcast where we come together to talk about the five most important, relevant, interesting things, pieces of news um, that have sort of happened over the course of the last like week or so related to what's happening in digital and social. And in honor of Jesse Kane, in honor of this afternoon's music track, we're going to sort of put a little bit of a music spin on this week's five things, specifically looking at kind of some of the disruptions and innovations that are happening in music right now, but really looking at the ways in which the music industry is having to completely reinvent itself during this time. So we're going to be touching on some really fascinating pieces of news that talks about um, what's happening in the music business from sort of an artist perspective, from the platform point of view, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get into this week's five things. So let's cover off what we're going to be talking about today. So number one, Spotify launched the listening together feature. Kenny's going to be kicking us off with that. The second thing we're going to be talking about is Travis Scott's performance on Fortnite. Yes, I know. This has been covered extensively. In fact, it's probably been talked about over 100 times during SMW1 already. But we have Jesse K here. I want his take. And I particularly want him to talk about really what this means for the music industry and what he sees coming down the kind of the pipe in regards to kind of, you know, similar innovations in terms of how artists are going to be doing similar sorts of things in these kind of like virtual spaces. The third thing that we're going to be talking about today is um, we should write some time for sheltering surge. Kenny's going to be covering this. The fourth thing is Facebook ramping up its live stream options. And I'm going to take that one. And then the fifth and final thing that we'll be talking about today is hip hop led Instagram live usage. That particular trend on the platform, which is the perfect segue, of course, into this afternoon's music track, and Jesse will be taking that. It's a lot. It's a lot to cover. It's a lot to get in through. Um, hold on to your underpants. We're going to get into it right now with Kenny talking about Spotify launching the Listening Together feature. Well, there you have it. The first thing, Spotify launched Listening Together website. So what we know is that Spotify launched Listening Together website as an extension of their local together campaign and when a user visits a website they'll actually see a 3d globe with location markers and the markers represent users who are hitting play on the same song in different locations so really kind of incredible um what it's showing right now is that music is really bringing people together and according to spotify every moment more than 30 people 30,000 people around the world uh, are pressing play and listening at the same time and listening to the same song um, and the, the website provides that really unique visual representation uh, of what that looks like so this is uh it, it speaks to some of the loneliness that's happening out there i think people are sheltering their home they're either with one or two family members or they're by themselves and and music is is the great equalizer and it brings people together and allows them to feel more connected and less alone it really speaks to spotify's mission as a platform where they've always had this social layer to it which i think is really nice and uh it's it's a nice uh it's a nice example of brand meaning and brand purpose uh being tested to the limit and uh, some quick hit innovation right there so I really love it. I think it's kind of badass. Um, I've tried it myself, but no one is listening to Baby Park with me. Um, so ultimately, uh, definitely a, a nice stop there for Spotify. Jesse, what's your take? 
I think Spotify is doing some really interesting stuff right now. I think that they know that the ball's in their court. So they're innovating across the board. Any way you can bring people together, like with this new feature, is a win for them. And they're getting the data. They're seeing that more and more people are now changing their listening habits in this pandemic. And I think that they're doing some smart things. There's now a new feature they're also offering where you can play a song and we can collectively play a song one after another, essentially creating your own sound clash. And they announced that feature this week too. So they're continuing to tinker with the uh, user experience. And I think that's great for the culture. Now, I think, you know, we, we talked so much over the course of the last like few weeks about the acceleration of like innovation or the acceleration of digital transformation. So, you know, social, I think for a long time until fairly recently struggled, I think, um, in regards to the way in which it kind of integrated into like music streaming services, um, despite how kind of like inherently social music is in terms of how we talk about it, in terms of how we want to come together and listen to it. Um, I just feel like from the technology standpoint, it was just really hard to kind of like drive adoption. I think Instagram stories has done a huge amount in terms of like really sort of helping to, to, to kind of accelerate people's like adoption of or, or use of social sharing features, um, you know, through Instagram stories. And I think that COVID-19 and the pandemic and the fact that we are, you know, more connected than we've ever been before whilst at the same time being sort of like physically separated means that we're jumping on these different kind of new features and tools um, because we just so desperately want to connect around the things that we care about. And I think it's just super interesting what's happening. All right. Oh, we're moving. All good. <laughs> if you have something to say, Kenny, jump in, man. It's all good. I was just thinking about how uh, the power of music when you're sitting alone and you have your headphones in, music can be very personal. But there's something really special about the energy that people give one another when you listen to something collectively. And it's a positive vibe that really only gets mirrored in a few other places, whether it be at a live sporting event or some sort of live experience. So I love not only that people don't feel alone, but the positivity and the energy that's brought from collective listening, which I think, you know, it's going to be a long time before we're sitting and seeing a concert together. And I know we're going to talk about that further uh, and some of our other things, but it, it definitely shows that Spotify is trying to bring that energy, which I really like. We should write some time source sheltering search. What the hell is this? So we and tell us about it. Yeah, so We Should Write Sometime is an app that is, it's kind of like Tinder, and it uses that swipe right uh, technology to really geotag and pair compatible songwriters and musicians uh, together with one another so that they can collaborate and make music. Since the, uh, the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, they have seen a 61% increase in daily average downloads. So uh, that is an unbelievable jump in adoption. And the reason why this app is so special is it takes people's interest, whether it be genre, skill, instruments, and it gives you access to collaborators. And at a time like this, where there are production realities about making music, this is the type of app and innovation that actually uh, allows for people to create in a time where maybe they didn't think they would have that ability. Uh, I don't know about you, Tobe, but I am absolutely obsessed with this uh, TV show called Songland, which is all about famous uh, producers collaborating with up-and-coming artists. And I think people really love uh, being able to watch the collaboration process and have access to collaborators that allow for new things to be made. Uh, we mentioned this on our last Social Media Week 1 panel uh, last week that uh, the, the age of science uh, after the Black Plague was met with an unbelievable renaissance in the art world. And I think we're going to see a very similar thing when it comes to the music space. So the innovation and the artistry are coming together through an app like this. So uh, we're just seeing more and more collaboration. You know, I, I, I think it's, it's so interesting across all of the arts in, in music, obviously, um, it's something that we're sort of, you know, we're focusing and featuring right now. But when you think about television and film, of course, um, collaboration, creative collaborations are going to be sort of um, such a huge kind of like thing that comes out of this period, particularly obviously at a time where like production is either halted or, you know, stifled in a, in a pretty significant way. We, we had, a, um, we had a, um, uh, a film director actually on SNW1 yesterday and he was talking about, he was sort of describing 
what production is going to look like in the next like three to six months. And it's, it's pretty like horrendous really to think about how they're even going to try and, um, you know, bring people onto set and work with crews, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he said, you know, from a, from a creative standpoint, this has been such a fertile period for him. Um, and he talked about all the various different ways that he's collaborating with kind of like other artists and other writers. Um, and, and so we're going to see this like massive dip, I think, in terms of new content, whether it's music, film or television, um, for a period. But then we're going to see this incredible sort of like surge over the course of the next, I don't know what, six, 12, 18 months. Um, because of course there are just so many ideas that are in development right now. Jesse, Travis Scott performed concert on Fortnite. Talk us through it. What happened and why do you think this is important for the music industry? Yeah, this is the biggest thing to happen in video games and music this entire year so far. I, I would think out of all the things that happened in the pandemic, there were some big hits and we'll cover some of those on Instagram, but nothing like this. And sure, Fortnite's been doing concerts before and we've seen that they've had shows. Marshmallow in particular, this wasn't the first of its kind. It was just the biggest and it opens up the floodgates. It shows the music business, the potential of virtual world concerts, and its impact on sales. His song, Shot to Number One, his new release that he premiered on that 10-minute show, Shot to Number One on the charts, the Scots. And on top of that, all of his back catalog saw, saw traction. I think 12 million people went and saw the concert. It only was up for a couple days. It's now been reverberated all over the internet and sets the stage for everybody wanting to do similar things. And it's possible, right? Fortnite already followed up with a, with the second show with Dead Mouse and Diplo. And I think it gets more interesting as you start to look at experiences where fans and artists can interact together in these virtual worlds, experiencing new music, experiencing classics together like never before. And I think it gets interesting when you start looking at the emerging artist space and not just these huge, massive social media hype beasts. If you start taking these artists that are on the rise that could really benefit from these live experiences that can't do these shows that were making their names in the colleges or on the kind of circuit right now, I think we're going to start to see traction on a consistent basis. I also love to see the concept of like legacy acts. Imagine going to see Bob Marley live in one of these virtual worlds. And I, you know, you can just bring his music back to life in a new way. It so I it, it was as a Fortnite player and someone who loves watching how brands integrate into Fortnite. It was fascinating. The, the show itself was spectacular and it really was inspiring. The ramp up to the show for players was actually really exciting as well. Because in typical Fortnite fashion, they teased out the skins and you were able to start to get really excited and they had a load screen and you knew it was coming. But there was an actual section of the map where you almost watch them construct the stage and the space. And all of a sudden you're like, what is going, you know, when you play Fortnite regularly, the map doesn't change that much during each chapter and each season. So when you see something sort of build and arise in the middle of this thing, you're like, what in the hell is going on? And it was so, I mean, like I might age myself with saying it this way. It was dope. Like it was really dope to watch it just sort of like emerge and be a part of it. And then the flip side of it is like, I just saw what Quibi did with Punk, where they put it on at the movie theater and that felt kind of expected. This just felt like it was born out of the earth of the Fortnite map in a way that was really just special and, and, and fun to watch. And there's just so much potential for integration. They had Travis Scott's Nikes and you could see them and like I, his shoes or everybody wants those shoes and you can start to click to digital, your avatar can have these shoes, to all of a sudden you can have them in real life. It was starting to feel like what a virtual world concert should and could yes. look like. And you can, again, like you're saying, Kenny, your imagination can really run wild and have a lot of fun. This is not the biggest and best done uh, or that we'll see, but this really just opened up the possibilities. And it feels like this is the kind of thing where you're going to start to see the traditional way of rolling out an album or a song or an artist is going to completely shift. You know, the song Renegade, which was the hit that it was basically brought to life through TikTok. 
It wasn't like an artist went out there and released it and started in a way. The way that Travis Scott's bringing this all to life, that's a completely different way. So I think you're going to see a renaissance in album marketing, song marketing, and artist marketing that we've never seen before. And it's pretty exciting. I agree. I think, I think one of the things that's really interesting about that is like how the actual the platform or the medium through which you release your music can also influence the way that the music is created in the first place. And of course, you know, we we've seen that with TikTok. Like we know that, right? We know that artists are now really thinking about like, you know, launching on TikTok and how to create something that works for that particular platform. But I think when you talk about things like Fortnite and these different like immersive gaming experiences, it's just a fun, fundamentally different medium altogether. So we're going to have like music that's been made for TikTok and music that's made for, for these gaming, virtual gaming environments. Um, and that's just going to kind of reshape music creation, consumption and culture. I mean, Jesse, this is kind of like your sweet spot. What do you think? Yeah, I think that they're going to have to start thinking about how music is now re-released and released. You cannot just go and touch hands. You can't shake hands and kiss babies in the same way you, you used to. You can't do shows. You can't. The my, the main source of income would have was in the live space, and that's all changed. So no matter what the promo tour and how this fan and consumer interaction, especially in like a kind of show scenario, is going to have to change. And I think that, yeah, music being made for video games has been a thing. Music being made for TikTok is a thing. Radio is still extremely important. I do think that you don't necessarily have to make the music for the medium. It's more about utilizing each medium to the best of its ability to get the music and your brand out and connect with fans. No, definitely. And this is a great segue to our fourth thing. Before I jump into that, though, just a reminder to our audience, if you want to ask us a question, I mean, look, you've got two of the smartest people in the business um, on, on the show this week. Kenny Gold, head of social for Gray in North America, is one of the smartest people I know in social. Jesse Kay um, is definitely one of the smartest people at the intersection of like music, tech, and culture. So if you have questions for these guys, Drop him into the Q&A function. Because number four is Facebook ramping up its live streaming options, which is incredibly important to Jesse's point in terms of how the hell do artists and musicians make any money if they can't go out and perform, right? Live was just so important. It was the sort of savior of, 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 the, of, the, um, of the music industry in so many ways because artists weren't making money from selling records, but they could start making money from live. Live has now been taken away from them, at least temporarily. So obviously we're seeing, you know, everybody pivoting, everybody sort of like, you know, switching gears, everybody figuring out how do they actually kind of, you know, get online, start performing. And of course, over the course of the last, like, this is amazing. It's only been like seven or eight weeks. We've seen some incredible innovation. We've seen all these artists going online. We've seen these massive, like, fundraising movements. Um, Global Citizens event, obviously, was just like together at home was, was really incredible. Um, but, you know, these artists, these musicians, they're not necessarily getting paid from just like getting online and starting to perform, right? So there needs to be a mechanism by which they can not only just start to perform, but they can actually start to sort of make money, which is why Facebook's new um, live streaming um, um, options and features are so interesting. So what happened? So Facebook has announced that it's planning to allow owners of pages to charge for access to events with live videos on Facebook, launching a monetary stars tool and bringing back a live with feature. So what this means is that these new features and particularly the ability to charge for events is really does represent great news for musicians and artists and folks in the entertainment industry because they are going to be able to actually charge for their live content. Now, here's the key thing about this. I'd love to kind of get Kenny and, and Jesse's thoughts. Um, this isn't new. This isn't the technology is not necessarily new. Um, putting up like gateways to be able to provide people access to online content isn't new. But what's important here is that we're talking about Facebook. We're talking about the platform with the biggest scale. And what do artists and musicians love? They love reaching huge audiences. So if you can provide them with a seamless and frictionless way in which they can basically charge for their live content, then I think it could be really exciting and super interesting. What obviously needs to happen on the backside of all of this is that the artists need to really think about what these virtual experiences are. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one, particularly, Jesse. You have a long history and ton of experience in the kind of like the live concerts, touring kind of sort of space. So, so what do you think about this specifically? And, and do you think this is going to be important for artists in terms of making money? 
We all hope so. We all hope this is going to be a big money maker. I think so. I think by adding the option for micropayments, I think it's going to be a, a great help because on scale, that really can add up. I really think that in the beginning stage of this whole pandemic, artists were kind of starting to say, let's try something. Let's put it up. Let's see what works. We'll go on Instagram Live. We'll start interviews, performances from our bedroom, whatever. Phase two, as they started to get traction, was really about giving back and really about kind of, you know, people are hurting. So so tapping into humanity and charity and using their voice and their power for good. Phase three of this, as we know now that concerts are canceled for the foreseeable future, is going to be about trying to figure out monetization. And when you're putting 200, 300, 500,000 people in a, in a chat, in a live stream, all of a sudden, at a dollar a piece, we're starting to see really good scale, even 50 cents. So adding this micropayment option for Facebook it shows that they see the trend and they're ahead of the curve to me. And hopefully consumers are going to adapt to that. And it's not that it's innovative. It's that it is relevantly of the moment. So like you think about, I think the music industry has a lot to learn from the gaming industry who have been leveraging micropayments and tipping and live streaming since their inception. I mean, this is what Twitch was built on, was this ability for, for millions of people to come together watch an artist, an athlete, a person experiencing some sort of content and to be able to reward them for that activity. So I think what you're going to see is uh, the gaming industry is going to continue to have this evolution. And I think the music industry might jump onto that long tail and learn a lot from that. So you're going to see this convergence of, of streaming and community activity that's going to be very special. Um, and and I, I think, thank God for the gaming industry. Because it has taught all of it is taught Broadway, you know, regular concert touring acts. Every artist, musician, actor, actress has learned from the gaming industry how to actually evolve and, and operate in this space. No, I think that's really well said. I mean, look, the technology isn't necessarily new, although the platforms are obviously, you know, shipping new products and new features as, as quickly as they can. And, some cases, they're actually like resurfacing old features that they felt were obsolete. Um, but what's key here is the context has changed uh, in which we, um, as consumers, are looking to kind of you know engage with and participate in these you know various different kind of live experiences, and and that shift is driving innovation, driving usage and adoption. I just think it's going to be fascinating as we come. I mean, we talk so much about this, but I just think that in the concept of music, it's probably more interesting than almost in any other area. But when you think about when we come out of this, you know, the adoption, new habits and behaviors are going to reshape the music industry in the future because we're not all just going to go back to the way things were. At least I don't think so. Well, welcome, all right. You know, sorry, Tobe. The, no, you know, the last thing I'll say on this is, you know, the music industry has been a pioneer in evolving the live experience for generations. If you think about, you know, from when the Beatles first came on the scene in America and it was four guys standing on a stage without a ton of artistry, all the way through to Elton John doing these epic stage performances, all the way through to Metallica and Kiss and the Rolling Stones having these incredible stage presence that they have. You know, I think the music industry has been at the forefront of live artistry. And it will be interesting to see who sort of takes the mantle and is able to do that now, uh, given, given the space that we are in, because it's a moment for artists to thrive. But also, don't you think that like technology, mobile, social has also eroded the live music experience to a point, right? Particularly in regards to the fact that everyone's just standing there holding their phones up and like live streaming or sharing on like Instagram or whatever. And I get it in terms of like, sharing the moment and how important that is. But I also understand how that kind of erodes the live um, experience for the actual artists themselves. So I'm sort of also interested in, you know, these sort of shifts, these behavior changes and potential innovation that comes out of this. Now that we don't have to like hold that camera up uh, while we're actually experiencing something, instead we can like lean into the experience and we can participate in other ways and we can be like all in on these experiences. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But like, Jesse, anything you want to say just to kind of wrap this, this segment up before we get into the, the fifth thing? 
I feel like that, that, that we're going to see as behaviors change, but originally social media was a huge amplifier of the live space, right? People used to put out, artists used to tour to support albums. And now they put out albums to support tours. And all of it is just creating that social media echo chamber. And I feel like this is not necessarily a chance to unplug. I feel like watching concerts and events and on your computer or on your screen isn't a digital detox. I do think that there will be a push towards that because I'm feeling screen fatigue. How many concerts, panels, events can I watch on my phone uh, you know, after a full day of talking and, and writing and, and, and emailing and connecting on my phone. So I, I wonder, I think you're plugging into something that is going to be an unplug movement. I just don't know if this is necessarily going to be it. I think this is just going to be the necessity from, uh, from the times. What do you think of Post Malone's Nirvana tribute? Uh, Nostalgia is working. Right. People are not necessarily wanting that new, new hot thing unless it's a 15 second bubblegum TikTok track. Right. People want to hear something that they know and that they that they love. So the fact that an artist with a scale like that could put the production right and then lean in on tracks that, you know, and that warm your heart from the 90s was smart and connected on every level. Totally agree. All right. Let's get into our fifth. And final thing, Jesse K, you're going to walk us through hip-hop-led hip Instagram live usage on the platform. What's going on? All right. So the, scenor- the scenario is March 11th, the world as we know it changed. The NBA canceled its season or paused it. Tom Hanks got corona and everybody went into panic. Three days later, The governor of New York issued a statement that said, nobody's allowed out of the house. We're not calling it shelter in place, but essentially you're all have been quarantined. What the heck is going to happen? Everybody was panicking. We've never seen anything like it. And quietly that Tuesday, D-Nice and a couple of his buddies hopped on Instagram live and started spinning records. Wednesday, he did it again. Thursday and Friday, Drake jumped on. It started to get some traction. And Saturday night, that first Saturday of quarantine, we're all sitting there, scared out of our minds. And D-Nice played that perfect blend of nostalgia and classics and golden era hip hop. And we all came together and watched 100,000 people in one room at one time and feeling like this was the coolest thing ever. We've all been saved. That night, a DJ saved all of our lives. And that was just the beginning of this kind of Instagram live extravaganza. Because at that time, you couldn't go over an hour on Instagram. But Mark Zuckerberg showed up in the chats and (laughs) basically gave it the hat tip and said, you're good to keep rocking D-Nice tonight. (laughs) The rules changed. Like a club owner comes into the club and said, you keep going. Don't worry about it, pal. (laughs) And I love this. I love this. You're going to be the narrator for the corona pandemic story. I'm loving this. (laughs) We're just getting started. Two days after that big Saturday night club quarantine that everybody showed up from Michelle Obama to Joe Biden to all of us, probably. I was certainly there loving it. Eight hour long DJ said, Swiss Beats launched a brand something that he'd been trying pre-corona era and wasn't getting traction. And him and Timberland decided we're going to do a versus beat battle. And that took off. And all of a sudden, every week, you can look forward to this beat battle called Versus. Last week, Erica Badu battled Jill Scott and 725,000 people at one time showed up. All of their socials went way up. You're seeing massive growth from the people that are doing this platform on Instagram Live. Instagram Live can barely even handle it. Like I said, they're changing the rules. They're making up the rules. They're trying to adapt as fast as they can because the culture has come to Instagram Live and they are innovating on the platform and creating brands that are going to be way bigger and remembered and revered beyond just this pandemic era. So Instagram Live has happened to be the place to be for a bunch of these artists to try to innovate and really galvanize community. It's and what's interesting about this is that I, you know you and I, Jesse, have talked about this before. Um, Instagram Live isn't necessarily the best 
platform for this, right? It isn't really like built for these types of experiences. But what do these artists all bring to the table when they come together and jointly like co-host something? They bring their audiences. And these audiences are massive because Instagram has scale, going back to my like earlier point. So what what do you think? What do you think is the kind of the, the, the sort of the sweet spot here? Or what, what's the intersection that we're talking about in terms of all of these different things coming together to create this type of like massive live experience that, that's operating at, at the scale that we're talking about? Well, I love the way that audiences can collide on Instagram versus these other platforms. It's massive. We had uh, the NFL draft obviously went virtual this year. It was supposed to be in Las Vegas. There was going to be a huge party in Vegas for the NFL draft, as there always is. But there was no party this year, right? Everybody's stuck at home. It's Thursday night. We're quarantined. We're watching the NFL draft. It's the fourth sporting event. So our client and uh, a friend of ours at Oikos, the yogurt brand, who is an official NFL partner, saw this opportunity and said, why don't we throw the official after party? And so essentially, we had Shaq, DJ Shaq Diesel, Shaquille O'Neal, DJ Oikos's after party with his 16 million followers. And then we're pulling in cameos like artist walkthroughs, but from DJ Khaled to Megan Trainer to even D-Nice himself all showing up for a quick 15 second, 30 second powwow video brings audience and zoomed up the count. So at one point in time, 25,000 people might've been in the chat, but over the course of the hour and a half DJ set with these 10 celebrity cameos, we had millions of impressions. And that, when would you ever see millions or hundreds of thousands of people over the course of an hour and a half show up to a yogurt? after party and that's part of the magic of instagram live right now hijack audience it's a beautiful integration and 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 being able to be of the moment and and understanding that you have to change your mindset in order to activate this way is a critical lesson for clients and for brands right now is that there's an element of bravery and a leap that you have to take to be able to do it the thing i love seeing on instagram live right now is when you log on and you see all those little circles at the top running across, you are looking at your TV guide and you're like, what can I tap into today and watch? And it's this like, it is just a cacophony of epic content. Like one minute you can watch, uh, you know, Katie Couric interviewing uh, Carly Kloss. The next minute you click the next thing over and you're watching DJ Nice hosting a, a, a dance party with Michelle Obama. You click again and Rihanna's talking about working with Fenty. Like you have all this. You can watch Naomi Campbell work out with her trainer. It's just, it is an unbelievable venue for this type of content. And I think what you're starting to see is for years, artists, brands, everybody, they were so focused on the quality of the craft. And I think what we're starting to see is at the heart in the DNA of really good ideas and really good artistry is access and community versus necessarily it needing to be polished in this tip-top way. So uh, you, you, the, the power of community is shining through. I agree. Yeah. I will say that a lot of this content created on Instagram and Instagram Live, unfortunately, is going to be trash, even though it's so epic and of the moment right now and getting that huge resonate. It's resonating so big. It's going to be ultimately trash because the content's so poorly created later on in life. Like that battle of Babyface and Teddy Riley only really mattered if you saw it on Instagram Live that day. Although people are going to talk about it forever, going back to it and watching it two years from now is going to be really unenjoyable because of the poor quality. I don't know, Jesse, back in the day, we used to trade tapes from Grateful Dead shows in the 70s that had crackle in it, or you would go and you'd find Dave Matthews in Charlottesville in 1992, and it sounded like crap, but we still listened to it. So you never know. It could be, we could be at the beginning of those demos that we've always wanted to listen to. All right, guys, let's take some audience questions now. Let's bring in the crew. Let's take some questions. Uh, Shane Bennett. Shane would like to know what platforms can artists use to create another intimate experience and also earn? So we talked about Facebook as a potential monetization platform. What are the other platforms, Jesse? What have you come across that's working, that's like really starting to create lucrative opportunities for artists? YouTube is a very underrated platform in this whole Mm -hmm. conversation because their monetization techniques are phenomenal. Their content sits longer. And I think YouTube is a big player that isn't getting as much credit just because 
Uh, it's not as of the moment. You're not going to go to YouTube for the news, but you are going to put your better, more polished content there. So I feel like YouTube is one that we're going to see a lot more and they've got all the capabilities and with Google behind them even more so. I, I love the opportunity that YouTube provides for live streams, for chat, for community, for innovation in terms of features. I feel like YouTube is a couple plays away from being right there in the conversation. On top of that, I love Twitch, which is Amazon backed, but right. also just, again, like Kenny said, taking a playbook from the gamers and just enhancing that in music. They're right there doing these kind of charity a thons and, and really well produced events. And it's a nice, a nice mechanism for payment. I'll throw, so, I'll throw uh, another vote on the Twitch front because I think Twitch is going to foster the new era of buskers. You know that Twitch has the ability to do tipping. And I think that understanding that artists with really, really high quality camera and audio can go on there and generate mass amounts of tips at any moment just for playing. You could see a world where an artist goes on, Twitch notifies its fol the followers of that artist that they're live. And all of a sudden, you know, they play a song or two, they make a few bucks here or there, and it becomes almost like what Cameo did, where you could, when you have a free hour, you could sit in front of the camera and do something and make some money. I love that. That's great. Uh, Nicholas Rodriguez, how are the local music industries influencing the global movements? For example, Anita or Bud Bunny, they created this crazy huge cultural movement in their countries. How do you feel this is impacting the music scene globally? Showing Bad my, Bunny, uh, by focusing on his community and really galvanizing it, has become the biggest artist of the in the entire world for the month of March. He released an album. It went number one. He did the, the, the circuit, but he didn't stay out. He stayed right in his lane. And I think that we're going to see local heroes turning on a global scale. And in a lot of ways, it starts on the block. And I think you can go local and, and scale global. And that's part of the power of social media. And I think you want to have a local rabid fan base. And Bad Bunny sure does. His base is really passionate. And then when he ignites the fuel... The whole world feels it. This is this is what where the power of Spotify comes into play in a in a heavy heavy way because I don't know about you all, but I still look at my Discover Weekly to see if things are going to pop up and be something new that I can be introduced to. And I think back to our first thing that we talked about many moons ago, where we talked about uh, collective listening. So the opportunity for one person to listen to something and start a chain reaction for the rest of the globe to start to listen to it could be an interesting opportunity for local to go global very quickly. I have a question for you on that. Like what? So K Caitlin's coming on. I know she's coming on. Bring Caitlin on. Bring her on. Bring her on. Bring her on. We'll get to Caitlin in just a second. Don't worry. Um, hi, Caitlin. What's up? We'll get to your question in just a second. But I want to ask a follow-up question to to these guys. So um, to what it, we mentioned like Discover Weekly and just the discovery tools in Spotify, which personally kind of frustrate me a little bit, but I wish they were better. To what extent is there an opportunity for a Spotify or another platform to do a little bit of aggregation work on what the, on on content, music related content that we can discover, but it's not necessarily just about the actual songs or the albums themselves, right? We think about what's breaking on TikTok or you know what's emerging on Instagram Live or some of the kind of more innovative things that the, the artists and musicians are doing on social. It, you know, is anyone really aggregating this stuff to kind of create you know this sort of highly personalized aggregation of kind of like what's new and things that kind of like are very specific to you? There isn't one great aggregator in music. I feel like that's one of the big issues with the industry as a whole is that it's, it's very separate. It's very convoluted. It's very tricky to navigate. Are you dealing with the record labels? Are you dealing with the talent agencies? Are you dealing with the artists direct? Are you dealing with Spotify? Are you dealing with YouTube? Are you dealing with SoundCloud? There isn't one central hub that can kind of bring it all together and allow you to look at the industry holistically the way that you can in certain sports leagues, so to speak. So I, I do see this as something that's a, a complication for a, and a problem that needs to be solved because it, it makes the industry look very complicated. Fair enough. Let's get to Caitlin's question. Caitlin, welcome to the show. 
What's your Thank question? Thank you so much. This is so fun seeing me with you guys. I'm just, my, my colleague Rose Nguyen and I are uh, just so starstruck today. This is definitely our favorite day so far. Um, we're learning a ton. We both run social marketing at a cybersecurity uh, firm in Silicon Valley, and we're all just such music fans and just, we're going nuts. Um, but I wanted to ask, you know, among my three trillion questions, uh, where... And you just touched on this a lot. So you, you answered it um, mostly, but you know, where can we go? Like I missed the, the Travis Scott one until I uh, got, you know, I got to see it, but um, you know, how, where can we go to make sure that we don't miss these amazing shows? Like, is it, do we just go to each platform and just set up notifications or, or do you recommend just, you know, stay engaged? How do we make sure with so much going on that we don't miss I think it's a, I think it's a great question. I think Jesse sort of pointed to it a little bit, but like discovery is like a really tough nut to crack, right? Um, when you think about um, not just like you know how does an artist break through, but really from a kind of consumer's perspective, how do I feel as though I have my finger on the pulse? Particularly if you're like a time strapped person, like personally, I want to feel like I'm connected to the culture. But I really feel like so much like passes me by because I'm just like not in it the whole time, right? And yeah. Jesse, I mean, you're you're just such a you are really someone I look to has this finger on the pulse, is connected to the culture. But you are invested all day, every night in making sure that you know what's up, right? So like, where where, did, where would you recommend we go? Like, what should we be looking at? What should we be subscribing to? What should what platforms should we be on to feel like we're a little bit more in touch with what's happening? Yeah, there are aggregators of what's happening when it comes to live events. There's resources like Do NYC and a couple, if you email me, that can kind of give you a rundown of everything that's planned on a larger scale that's in this virtual world event series. But when these concerts or these live streams or Rihanna decides to pop up and you know break the news that she's going to release a record, that's become part of the business right now. You almost have to follow the digital breadcrumbs to some extent. You can't see it all. Again, there are some places where you can see a good depth and breadth of what's coming, but you can't predict what's coming because artists are unpredictable or in this yeah. day and age, digital scarcity wins. So I think you almost want to pick the companies that you really or the brands that you really are passionate about and then follow them closely on Twitter and Instagram. And those digital breadcrumbs will lead you to the promised land. So I'll throw, I'll throw two other things out there. I would say now is the time for over-following on Twitter. I would go out there and, and really, you know, whether you want to be following Spotify, Pitchfork, Rolling Stone, and you name it, you go out there, follow more and decide the ones where you want to get some notifications. I never use Twitter notifications until now because I want to make sure I'm not missing certain things from certain people. The other one I'll throw out there, which it was kind of weird, but... Um, I signed up for bands in town a while ago. And what started to happen was all of those artists who I was waiting to see if their concert tickets became available, they started notifying me when they were going live. So I got an email from bands in town probably three or four weeks ago. And it was like, oh, you follow Ben Folds. Ben Folds is going to be doing his garage concert series. You can go to this website and sign up for a seat now. So it's interesting. You would think that Ticketmaster or Live Nation or any of more of the like traditional concert groups would have thought about this sooner. But there are some places where the artists you love will, will notify you that it's going that it's happening. That's great well, advice, Kenny. That's great advice. Kenny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your question. We're going to take you off. Um, I believe we have a question from Al Manorino, the legend that is. Alfred, lovely to see you. What's your question for the, uh, for the five things group? Uh, everyone um i've been really enjoying these virtual experiences and i can't get enough of them i wanted to ask the group what is your dream virtual concert experience who do you what artist do you want to see come out of the woodwork and say for charity we're doing this one night only can't miss concert it's a great question it's a tough one dream virtual concert experience jesse what comes to mind for you I love the impromptu or I love the cameo. I'm like kind of a hip hop mixtape kid where I grew up in the 90s in New York. So I like a lot of cameos and a lot of features. I think that that spikes the pot. I could imagine there's a lot of talk about Diddy versus Dr. Dre in this versus. That would be interesting to see if they put it on a live set. 
right? Imagine if Dr. Dre could pull from home five friends and Diddy could pull from home five friends and they could do their songs live with with the cameos from different people. You could have Dr. Dre pull Snoop Dogg in from his basement of his apartment, you know, of his house. And then you could have him pull in, uh, you know, Eminem from, from, uh, from Detroit or 50 Cent from, from Manhattan. And, and I just feel like you could do a really fun, like kind of your playlist come to life with, yeah. with a bunch of different artists and have it be a really interesting experience and kind of like keep your flavor, keep your, your palate wet. I'm, so I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go sort of opposite, um, although that would be awesome to experience. And I think about what when they talk about sports leagues having lockout seasons, and they talk about you know all star players losing a year where they can actually like make their mark on society. It reminds me a lot of that. Where I would love to see the old cello guys. I would want to see Brian Wilson, Paul McCartney, Dylan, Van Morrison, kind of get together and be like. They're probably using one of the, losing one of their last years of touring. So I would want to see them all come together with the quality of them being home for one kind of like final blowout jam session, uh, a la The Last Waltz, where everybody comes together uh, and does something kind of epic. I think, you know, the, we're not going to be able to see uh, these guys for another 15 years. So we might as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting. I have, I have something in, almost in a similar vein, but like, but. I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, BBC Radio 1's Live Lounge. Whenever they bring people onto the Live Lounge, uh, different like artists and performers, they they are all invited to do a cover, right? And the covers are always so amazing because they just put so much time and effort into thinking about like what's their particular take on a particular song. I think that's great. What would be particularly interesting would be if the fans could decide uh, who does what cover right, sort of fan-voted, up-voting, whatever it might be, but the fans get to decide which artist does which cover, and then that then becomes kind of like a, a live music experience. Al, what about you? What, what would be your uh, your ideal or um, most exciting virtual concert experience? Uh, I'm an old soul. I would love to see Roger Waters, David Gilmore, and Nick Mason reunite uh, Pink Floyd for like a, either just a charity recording or even like a, a small set would be pretty amazing because... We're never going to see that in person. Probably ever. With or, with, with, or, with or without acid. Oh, it has to be acid. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I love it because it's so hard to do. But I, tell me something. Do I have something here with the playlist come to life? You take a playlist and then you have each of those artists perform that song from their various bedrooms. And then you have the playlist live. You know, what you, do? you know what you do with that, Jesse? I think what you do is you get celebrity curators to come together and actually make the playlist and then they go and they're like so for example tom hanks comes out there and he says these are my you know casey case of top tens and then all of a sudden 10 artists come in and play that playlist celebrity playlist live that's it that's it coming to you <laughs> let's do it I think there's generally something in that. Al, thanks so much for your question, buddy. I appreciate you jumping on. All right, let's take one more question. I don't think we're going to be bringing anyone in on this particular occasion, but I do want to get to another question because there are so many. And how about this? Um, the three of us will jump on Twitter after this immediately. Just use the hashtag SMW1 and the hashtag five things if you want to like continue this conversation, if you have any more questions for us, because we may not be able to get through everything. So... Apologies for that, but obviously um, uh, we do really appreciate everyone jumping in. We appreciate all of the incredible questions. All right, let's get to one more final question from Carolyn Page. How can brands incorporate into these live music sessions in a creative and innovative way? Again, this is your sweet spot, Jesse K. What, what have you seen and what do you, what are you seeing that has worked in terms of brand integration? And what do you think brands should be doing right now? I feel like brands are the patrons of the arts right now. There isn't going to be a Tao group or a Live that can throw these concerts, which is why Oiko stepped up and had a right to throw the best NFL draft after party. I feel like in many ways, brands that are pushing pause right now are not being responsible. I feel like artists need the support and brands can really be the patrons of the arts. And I feel like in many ways, brands should step up and kind of help supplement. And you can, artists are down to do this for 
a lot less because of the opportunity for the exposure and because they're sitting at home and they want to try something. So I feel like brands in a lot of ways have a fiduciary duty to try something. And I feel like artists, if they're doing it the right way, are going to be receptive. And certain times you're going to catch lightning in, in the bottle. You look at like Levi's, their 501 concert they're doing every single day at 501 p.m. PST is grown their Instagram account millions and millions of users. And I feel like consistency is a big part of it for brands. Just trying one thing splash in a pan doesn't help you really dominate the social graph. You've got to stay there consistently. And I would love to see brands supporting emerging because, yeah, I mean, doing something with Travis Scott is great, but it's not like he needs this, right? Whereas you see so many of these artists that were on the precipice, these working artists that have big fan bases that are way more impactful than influencers because these are influencers with talent that are actually creating things that can't tour, that can't make their main revenue, that don't have number one songs on the radio or, or you know, videos that used to be on MTV. So how do we support those acts, the acts that are in the college market? And I feel like those fan bases matter and brands can integrate with them, find the right artist, find the right person to help you and, and try something that ladders up to your bigger plans. I mean, oh, Kenny, you work for a global advertising agency. You run social. You're working with some incredible brands. Like, what's oh. your take? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think we are seeing some brands uh, taking the torch and supporting the arts, but they are doing it with dual purpose. They are doing it in a way that actually drives community growth as well. So if you saw what Procter & Gamble and Pepsi did with Global Citizen to bring together at home together, that was in a way supporting artistry, supporting, you know, community as well. I think we have plenty of opportunity to learn. I think we're getting past the hump of people being afraid of what we're doing right now and wanting to sort of crawl back from out of the hole. Uh, you know, I think what people forget sometimes is that the brands are dealing with some human realities of what this crisis has done to their business. And the expectation from the broader consumer base is, oh, they have a ton of money. They should be doing everything. They're really taking the time to figure out what is feasible and what is responsible. How are they going to take care of their employees? How are they going to take care of their the communities that they're a part of? So um, I think brands need a little bit of slack uh, to get themselves in a place where they feel like they're in a position to support this kind of stuff. But then, then again, I think uh, you know they are members of a community and a location and, and a world where they need to be supportive. And being patron patrons of the arts will be a critical piece of that. So um, I know right off the bat that when this podcast ends, Jesse, I've got a brand opportunity for you. So we're going to have to bring our idea that we just brainstormed out of this little box here and, and in, into the world in a different way. I love okay. it. Do a little, do a little bit of biz dev on the Five Things podcast. All right, listen, we're out of time. In fact, we are over time. But this has been a phenomenal conversation. But who wants to join us for a Twitter after party? I think that would be pretty great. So jump on Twitter, use the hashtag number five things and also the hashtag SMW1, of course. Jump on Twitter if you want to keep the conversation going. If you want to ask these guys some questions, we would love to see you there. So we'll certainly be hanging out on Twitter for a while. For now, I just want to wrap up and say thank you so much for joining us for the first live recording of the Five Things Podcast. Thank you also for joining us for SMW1. My name is Toby Daniels. I'm the founder of Social Media Week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jesse Kay. Thank you, Kenny Gold. See you guys on Twitter. Thanks. The Five Things Podcast is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougall, Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.